You're listening to Third Factor, a podcast celebrating the life of the mind and supporting all of you out there on the search for the higher path in life. I'm your host, Jesse Manisto, and today my guest is Margot Morgan, a Gen Z writer and a leader in our members forum. Here at Third Factor, Margot runs a group called Maladjusted to Maladjustment, where she seeks to offer an alternative to a culture that seems obsessed with being different for difference's sake. It's the sort of space she's been lacking herself. Her high school was brimming with negative maladjustment, and she grew up under the shadow of a diagnosis that turned out to be incorrect. What's it like growing up online today? Why do so many, young and old, seem to be walking on eggshells? What do we really need to grow as creative, positively adjusted individuals? We explore all this and more on Third Factor. Margot Morgan, welcome to Third Factor. Hello, thank you for having me. So you are a member and a contributor to Third Factor and a member in our forum and a leader of some groups there, which we're going to get into. But I wonder if beyond that, you could introduce yourself for our listeners. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Margo Morgan. I am a writer and member leader at Third Factor. Uh, the main group I run now is called Maladjusted to Maladjustment. Uh, I also run an online Discord server for a writing community, and I recently have uh, designed a board game. So I do a lot. <laughs> you stay very busy. You're a member of our doers group as well, and yes. I think a very a very uh, exemplary member of that group, bringing a lot of energy. But you're just a member. You're not a leader there. So we'll focus on the one that you lead, yeah. and we'll probably get to the one you're also going to help lead later. But Let's start with that one you mentioned, maladjustment to maladjustment. Tell me about the purpose of that group. What was your motivation for setting it up and uh, what brings somebody to join that group or what do you hope will bring somebody to join that group? I can start with uh, the story of where I came from and why I set that up. Please. I was in a high school with a lot of values that were very ideologically strong and usually centered around uh, breaking up societal norms. It was what people nowadays would call woke, for lack of a better term, a lot of focus on identity. And everyone there felt like an outsider. They wanted to push the system. They hated being uh, pushed to follow rules, you know, dyed hair, bragging, almost bragging about like, I'm different. I have so many issues. And I never fit in. But I also felt like I couldn't say I didn't fit in because I never fit in with being different. Uh, and over the course of my time there, I didn't share their political views, but I didn't want to speak out. And a lot of tension built up and it felt like a boiling kettle that was about to explode. And it was getting to a place where with friends that I'd met after I uh, left high school, that weren't really doing anything wrong, except reminding me of the really bad environment that I was in. I was starting to get angry and irritated, but I didn't want to take it out on them. And so I thought, if only there was a place where I could let off steam and it wouldn't end up hurting anyone else. When I got to Third Factor, I also saw a lot of members who were dealing with the same sorts of environments. Some uh, folks I knew just around uh, both in, out of the forum, everywhere, I could tell we're very angry. And I wanted a place for us to be able to have that 
catharsis. But the important thing to note is not to campaign or to fight or to attack back because that just gets you stuck. And so that's really the purpose of our group. We're a place for people to vent, for people to share their hot takes, for people to get things off their chest without worrying about uh, getting canceled, to find understanding, uh, but then to heal from that and recover from that and find a way to live more of a healthy and stable life. A lot of things strike me about what you said there. Just the idea that you had a lot of empathy for your classmates, even as you felt different from them. And there's certain irony to being different from the people who are celebrating how they're different, which I just, I don't need to say more on, but it's just a thing to contemplate for a moment. And so you tried to create a space for catharsis, but also one that is constructive in a way. Can you tell me more about the culture of that group as it as it has been and, and as you'd like it to be? What sort of things do you want to cultivate in members there? We, one of the first things we did in that group uh, was I started a thread that says, come in here and share like the most boiling hot take. That's to make people feel comfortable letting their walls down and saying things they might be nervous about saying elsewhere. But then the next thing we would do in that thread is I would make a point to reply to people and say, all right, it seems like you're angry about this. You don't like the way this is going. How can we move forward with that? What can we do? Uh, and it's been a place where we can support each other and validate each other and help turn down that state of anger or uh, frustration or just really charged emotions. Definitely, I've seen and I've heard having that release helps people. And I've had people tell me, you know, it's so great to be able to have this conversation finally. And having been in that exact same space a few years ago, it's it's almost wonderful to see like, wow, I've come a long way if I can help someone from the other side. What I hope to do with it uh, is to reach those people who are in need of something like this, who need to talk about these frustrations and particularly those that have been more personally affected. I think this stuff is getting from what I hear, really intense in schools now. And it's one thing to be an observer to it. It's another thing to be someone like myself, where a lot of my friends were, for example, really strong feminists. They had very uh, specific ideas of what a woman should be upset about. Me being female was supposed to be what made me and my accomplishments some extra dramatic achievement. And I really felt like an outsider because I didn't agree with most of that and like I wasn't making connections. And I wanna find other people who are in the middle of that and be able to bring them out of it and have a place to wind down. And then also for those of us who have maybe gotten angry or have started fights to have a place to think, what is something I can do to find some happiness or find a better direction that isn't just trying to win over the other side? Because well, that's how these very maladjusted people have gotten stuck in this uh, sort of contrarian culture is they've become very focused and made it their entire life to protest, to push against different boxes. And really maladjustment is a relative state that just means I'm different from the things around me. Once you find things that are like you, that's really where you'll be happy. And so 
you can't get stuck forever. I usually tell people, especially applicants who don't fit our little bubble, it's not that we have something against you and there should be a group out there for everyone and whatever they're going through, not just our one little group. But being different is like a train station. Who you really are is the destination. If all you're connecting on is I don't fit in that room, well, what if you and that other person need to be in each other's rooms? Then you're not going to have a lot in common. What you say is so important. And so uh, there's so many ways we could go with this. I want to ask you about your own struggles and stories, but we're going to put that aside for a moment and come to this idea of validating each other or hearing each other's catharsis. So, you know, full disclosure to our listeners, I'm a member of your group. I participate in, in most of the groups in Third Factor. So I've watched some of this unfold. And it's really interesting to see the way that people know this is the idea. They're on board with it. Otherwise, you told them this is not quite the space for you. The maladjusted to maladjustment group is in the context of the broader third factor project where I'm out there saying like, yeah, we're for debate, we're for agree to disagree, we're for exploring ideas. But people know that there's a separate forum. We've ruled them up together if people come in now, but at the time there was a separate forum for debate. And then there was maladjustment to maladjustment where we had your thread about people posting their hot takes. And people got that, you know, all right, they're posting it here for a different reason. What do we do? How should we respond? And you did a great job sort of trying to get at the feelings that people had and that they wanted to be heard. But when you were talking about the, the different boxes that, that people might belong in, sometimes people are looking for people who agree with them. And other times they're just looking for that catharsis. Mm -hmm. So how did you approach that? What did you think of other people's takes, you know, when you were leading that? And what advice would you give to someone uh, at, who, who's looking for intellectual engagement versus catharsis? Of course, it does seem interesting to have a group that's for a specific set of ideas in a place like Third Factor that's all about uh, open debate. What I really thought through this uh, and the intention I want to keep is it's not a group to start, you know, drumming up our ideas and campaigning and protesting. It's a group where if you see that you're really angry or stuck with something, uh, you can calm it down so that you can go into the wider debates or conversations without taking it out on other people. I myself, I saw this was a place where I was getting heated, where it was getting triggered. I didn't want those triggers to spill over into the wider forum if I had something that wasn't really processed. And I think we all need a connection that understands us, but we need it in order to use it to help us have a healthier relationship with the wider world and not to push ourselves into bubbles. And so uh, one of the things, uh, the policies that I made before starting this group to be sure that intention was clear was that I required every member to join at least one other group somewhere on Third Factor. And that way it would show like, Yes, you're willing to um, listen to other people's opinions or you have another purpose you want to reach to. Like, uh, for instance, if someone were to be in the doers group, that's a project. That's where they want to get to so that this anger isn't holding them back. I mean, it's different for everyone or some people might um, be engaging in a lot of debates and need to come 
in here to let off some steam so that they don't uh, get into a very aggressive fight. Uh, but it's a part of pushing that intention and letting people know, you know, this is really a place more to meet your need in order to help you engage in the wider space. And if people need to debate those intellectual ideas, that's why we have other parts for that and uh, places to go to see people that you disagree with, even if it is talking about the same subjects that come up in this group. Uh, this is more of a tool to regulate people or to find uh, when you're really, really lonely and you have nobody, it's almost unfair to say, well, now go tolerate a wide range of opinions, but we're never going to let you make a connection that you like. But it's also very dangerous, as you pointed out, to make an echo chamber. And the biggest thing that's been on my mind to manage that is just to be clear with that purpose to both the members. And really, I did make this group for myself so that I wasn't starting fights with people I knew who didn't deserve me being mad at them just because they said one thing I didn't like. So I wonder, this is very abstract. And so I wonder if we can sort of, maybe you and I together sort of sketch out for our listener how this unfolds, right? Like someone comes in and posts something about like, oh yeah, those crazy woke people, blah de blah de blah But we do have members at Third Factor who are very social justice progressive as well. And we all, the thing we share is agree to disagree, discussion, mm. pursuit of the higher path, exploring together. So those two people maybe are in there together. You're not going to necessarily get those people who agree with you, but like what, for example, might the uh, the social justice activist say to the angry woke or angry anti-woke person posting this take that you think would be in line with like, gee, hey, you know, I'm I'm here for you for your catharsis. I'm not canceling you. Is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as listening and not canceling and not getting mad? Or is there something else to it? Yeah, I think uh, it really is um, a part of that is uh, this is the space where I need to vent. I just need someone to listen to me. I know I'm angry. I can't help that I'm angry. I have to work through this. Just give me some listening for now so that I can regulate it. Um, and that is something that we all need. And even very passionate people uh, uh, into social justice, there are some very important causes there and some things in the world that really are terrible that it's very noble to stop. And I can see why someone would need to vent like, things just suck right now in the world. I need to be mad. Sometimes we don't like people who are cynical, but sometimes people need to be cynical and angry, or sometimes people need to be annoyed. And really, that's the place to tell people, like, this is the listen to you while you're hurting. And when I meet a new member, where I don't really know where they're at yet, I will tell them, like, even if it isn't ends up that you're not a fit for this group, I just want to hear what you need and listen to you. Because when someone's in a state of being hurt, what good is it to just kick them when they're down? That's a different scenario than what is a debate or, you know, trying to push an idea publicly. I think it's very important for us as a society to separate those two, though, because otherwise we let our feelings rule us or lead us into pushing decisions that aren't very good. And so it does really look like just 
knowing here's a space where I'm going to listen, seeing where someone's hurt and saying like, even if we might not agree, I get that. I get that this is hard for you. And you're right that that, you know, isn't right. And I find that's a very powerful way of building a bridge and letting someone know you care about what's happened to them, even if you aren't necessarily fighting on the same teams all the time. I love what you just said. And I'm so happy that you are running that here at Third Factor because it's clear that so many of us need this nowadays. And I would say that everybody who spends time online is who spends time engaging with ideas online, especially can value, can need this sort of thing to just get that pent up emotion out that we just aren't able to deal with uh, when we're sitting at screens and just reading text. Right. So, but I got to, you know, I'm, I'm a, an elder millennial. You're a member of Gen Z. I grew up online, but it was a little different back then. I was one of the first people to grow up online, as I've mentioned a few times in, in other episodes, you know, we've talked about how Gen Z sometimes really seems shell-shocked to those of us who are older. And when, when we get close to these subjects, and forgive me for saying so, I sometimes do have this sense that I'm making you, if, if not nervous is maybe not the right word, but just like, oh, I'm triggering some of the stuff that maybe Margot has dealt with in her circle and the reason that she created this space because she does talk about these fraught issues with, with her cohort. and it's something that we call walking on eggshells. Like maybe you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around these, these topics. And it is not just you. I see this with a lot of Gen Zers and it breaks my heart because I also sometimes feel that way, but at least for me, I can say, Whoa, something's different. That's not normal. And for your generation, that's just how it's always been. Am I right in saying that? And then what do you make of that? Absolutely. I think the way you described it as uh, shell-shocked, um, really seeing and hearing that term, it does capture the feeling. Everyone feels like they're in a very uh, fight-or-flight state without realizing it. And I have seen this in person, in fact, more so than I have online. I never used the internet much throughout middle school, high school, but I was around a lot of very online people. I could see there was a lot of tension and even people that would come to my high school and seem relaxed at first would gradually get more and more and more tense. These views were uh, very pushed and there were a lot of ideas because people were very aware of how problems happened in the world. But there were a lot of ideas like if you say a certain word that implies a certain negative restriction. Well, then that's pushing this idea and that's perpetuating these issues. And now you are responsible for people's human rights being taken away or you're causing a social pressure that makes people depressed. I was a writer at the time and there's a lot of emphasis on representation and getting it right. And so I felt like I had to write the characters they wanted. I felt terrified that one of them would end up being a stereotype or end up saying offense, something offensive. And you never know what that something might be because a lot of times it's very small things. Like you said, salesman instead of salesperson. And that is apparently sexist, oh no. Or just other things like that. 
Also, there's an attitude of you should have known better by now, even though you have no way of knowing. There's a lot of blame. There's a lot of aggression. And there are a lot of instances like someone said they didn't like Beyonce. They just felt like her music was annoying. And one of the other students was really aggressively hard on them and said, that's not fair. You can't say that. That's wrong. And when you're in an environment like that, you really do have to walk on eggshells because it's like you're walking in a field of landmines. You never know when you're going to step on the wrong trigger. And there is a lot of guilt that comes with it too. I think a lot of people are seeing what went wrong in history. They're scared because they're very aware of the severity of certain issues. They don't want to be supporting anything bad. And they don't want to say, oh, it's too radical when in uh, 20 or 30 years, it seems like the most normal thing and end up being that ignorant person whose statue needs to get torn down. And a lot of feelings of you just absolutely cannot touch anything that's bad. I felt like I had to cut off most of my music tastes because I was worried one of the artists would in some way be problematic. I didn't even have confirmation that they were, but that was a time I went through where I really restricted a lot of myself because if something was offensive, insensitive, well, then that's the worst thing in the world. And that, you know, you're making other people depressed. You're perpetuating the attitudes that take away their rights and a lot of really other dramatic feelings of blame. It causes people to walk on eggshells. It causes them to become very traumatized and very scared without even realizing that they've become that dysregulated. I think I've seen a lot of people who are, who are very young, they don't know better. They believe, oh, that's a good cause. And so they follow it and they sink so much into it that before when they might have been a very kind and grounded and reasonable person, they've then conformed to this culture and then they become one of the people that perpetuates it because they might not even be self-aware enough to realize this is stressing me out because it's wrong. Or what I would tell myself, this is stressing me out because I'm a bigot who can't understand. And the tactic that gets used for that is, well, okay, you might find this annoying, but over there, there's really bad people doing really bad things. And out there in the world, you know, it's very horrible. Yes, we might suck, but they're a dictator and we're the freedom fighters. Would you really take down the freedom fighters, your only shot at freedom, and let the dictators win? Wow. I I think that's going to be eye-opening to a lot of our yeah. listeners, especially those who are older. Of course, I've heard you talk about this before, but thank you for sharing that take. That kind of leads into the idea of positive disintegration. You have talked about, you know, I know you're not super into theory. You just kind of want to, you know, go on with your life. We can get into that. But from this starting point of the idea of the theory, what do you think about it? And especially the idea of positive maladjustment or negative maladjustment seems very relevant to what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, positive disintegration is definitely a theory that's helped me a lot. Before this very ideological high school, I was put in a therapeutic system where I didn't belong. And so there was a lot of theory jargon that was shoved into my life. And so I don't really mesh to it, but that doesn't mean that theories are bad. And I think 
Positive disintegration is especially relevant right now because of the idea that hard times are something someone can go through. Uh, because I see a lot of people that will just get permanently locked on medication and diagnoses like they're permanent and not really look at what is this difficult thing and what do I need? It's a good framework. It's helped explain a lot of things. I think for me, sometimes I have needed to use it to just explain to people, I have a bad day. I need support not to go see the doctor. And it's a bit frustrating that they will only listen to theories. But I think it's still an important thing for that. And also, in times when it does apply, it's very helpful. And then you mentioned maladjustment and positive versus negative. Well, maladjustment, for people less familiar than the term, can be really oversimplified down to here are the rules of your environment. You don't fit in and you go against them. Positive maladjustment is something where if you think about it, there's a lot of times where you don't fit in a place and go against it. And that's not a bad thing. Maybe you're uh, sticking up against some really unethical decisions, or maybe it's a science club and you want to be an artist. And negative maladjustment is when someone becomes maladjusted, but almost in a way that is unhealthy. And I've met a lot of negative maladjustment people that seem like they want to close themselves off. They're saying how kind and generous they are and, oh, but everyone else out there sucks. And they almost feel unwilling to sit in a room and conform to an activity because maladjustment to them becomes a personality and different things, you know, we can label ideas right and wrong and behaviors uh, harmful or not, but that depends a lot on context. But I think positive maladjustment is when someone is moving in a direction that's healthier for them and uh, hopefully helping some others around them. But they have an end goal uh, because I was positively maladjusted to an environment for a long time. But now that I'm out of there, I can't go around saying, look at how maladjusted I am. Look at how different I am from those people 10 years ago. It's a relative state because it relies on being different from things around you. And what comes after that is becoming what we would call positively adjusted. Whereas negative maladjustment usually tends to just sink into more and more isolation. And I will remind our listeners that your group is called Maladjusted to Maladjustment. And people do forget that positive maladjustment, it's a dynamism in the theory of positive disintegration, which means the force for growth and development. But you don't want to stay there. You do want to get to positive adjustment, which is not something I hear people in Dabrowski land talking about that much it's very tempting to stay there. There's a lot of rewards for staying there. And I think you've illustrated them very well, given what you've said about our culture. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your experiences. You have written about them for Third Factor. I'm talking about, of course, your your history that you wrote in our, our first article, which we will link. So just give us a, bring us up to speed real quick. And we'll, if people want to know more, they can read your article. Yes. So to start from the very, very beginning, when I was seven, I was your usual gifted kid who was very bored in class, didn't fit in, seemed very quirky. And that led me to be misdiagnosed with autism. That was 100% incorrect. Uh, I've seen doctors that were actually very shocked by that being there. So it was uh, and definitely an error, a very big error. And it proceeded to uh, bring a lot of treatment into my life and a lot of therapies. 
those didn't work. And so I got more stressed and more agitated, which resulted in more therapy getting brought on. And throughout most of my education, there was uh, quite a lot of uh, psychological treatment and real medical stuff, even in my high school, which wasn't technically a special school, we would still have to meet with a social worker once a week because of the curriculum. I was still seeing several doctors. It really took over my life. That's when I discovered giftedness and then later Dabrowski. And then it clicked. This is a diagnosis. This isn't right. And that is how I ended up finding Third Factor and through several other uh, connections in that community. I am really sorry that it happened to you. One of the things you say that is the most striking in your piece is how hard it was to find belonging in these classrooms you were put in. Can you say more about that? Uh, Yes. So one of the things that was most uh, frustrating was the way that uh, labels tended to overtake everything because I was around people that really had very little social skills. But in this modern culture, I was almost told like, no, no, you have to be understanding of them. You have to meet their needs. And mine were never taken care of, or they were seen as like, if you don't have a serious of an issue, you'll be fine. And so that really sapped me, especially as someone who tends to recharge from more uh, extroverted exchanges uh, of a lot of needed socialization. And then uh, once school became more ideologically strict, a lot of the conversations and what looked like connection was people sitting around venting about this world issue and thinking agreement with it would feel like connection and compassion when it really didn't. And I think it was a result of that environment and just being in the wrong place at the wrong time that caused this massive weight of isolation. And uh, leaving behind that, being misdiagnosed to that degree, it's very, I don't want to overuse words like traumatic, but it's very painful. And in order to recover from that, you do need a connection, but you can't see a psychologist because that's already, that didn't work. And even if you find one and don't feel like you're panicking once you're in the therapist's office, the chances that they understand are pretty small. They don't exactly have support groups for this. And so it's hard to bridge and make those connections. Yeah, But you're so exhausted, you don't always have the energy to get up and go somewhere like trying to find and meet new people. And you're filled with self-doubt. I always felt jealous because my friends who complained about being lonely could just Google and find like statistics on how rare they were and then use those to say, this is how lonely I am for being XYZ, you know, isolated experience. And I would just have this feeling of like, you're lucky that people can even tell you that. Like, I never had an activist train to just jump on. I've been sharing the story around just in hopes to make that connection. that I think a lot of people feel like they're doing. And for some people, it's, you know, valid. But for others, it feels like they forget what it's like to really be backed into this corner and be misunderstood where... I've fought with everything I had just to find 
connection. And that has been a really tough battle. I think it's taught me a lot about what not to do. And it's forced me to become more resilient, you know, and have to work with people who I don't always get along with, but it's also definitely made things a lot more isolating. Have you read uh, Scott Barry Kaufman's book, Ungifted? Uh, I have not yet. Well, it, it he describes a similar experience where he's in the special ed classroom and in high school, one of his, one of the teachers just walks up and says, why are you here? You know, he's gone out, he's Scott Barry Kaufman. He's got a PhD in psychology now. So, but I, I knew one other story, right? Here I am running third factor where this kind of thing, you know, people find their way through Dabrowski to that. And yet I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was a major thing you were hoping to connect with people over through maladjustment to maladjustment. But many people coming in there who said they understood your story really didn't. They were maybe rebelling against a diagnosis that might have fit a little bit better. We don't want to stick that on anyone who doesn't have it. It's just a very different experience. All of these are very unique and isolating experiences. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I've definitely noticed a lot of people, because it's such a big boom nowadays, will see something that has words like, oh, differences. Uh, I tried to start a workshop once for teens who had experienced a misdiagnosis. And two of three applicants we got were parents of a teenager with an accurate diagnosis. Mm. And you could feel the energy of just desperation. I think a lot of people are also uh, looking to connect. So they see me as feeling isolated in this culture. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I also felt like people misunderstood me. But it's a very different thing to just be misunderstood or I had one label. I just needed another one. And to be plunged into the depths of the deepest levels of the psychology system and not even belong there at all. Like one is doctors, either people not understanding you and stereotyping you or doctors having a hard time figuring out what exactly you need. And the other is medical malpractice. If you're enjoying this conversation, then this invitation is for you. On September 17th, 2023, we'll be discussing one of my favorite, most timely books, and one that Marie just read and loved too. It's called This Star Shall Abide by Sylvia Engdahl, and you can find it linked in the show notes. It's the story of a heretic who's willing to pay the highest price for his beliefs, and when it was published in 1972, it won the Christopher Award for Affirmation of the Highest Values of the Human Spirit. If you'd like to join us to chat about it, head over to thirdfactor.org slash join and sign up at the community member tier. When you enter the code podcast at checkout, you'll get 30% off an annual membership or 30% off for three months at the monthly rate. This is a great book and a great way to check out our community. We'll meet for an hour and a half on Sunday, September 17th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. UK time and 10 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you there. And now back to today's conversation. And when I saw misdiagnosis, it's like everything clicked. And then how much it sucked just hit me all at once. Yeah. And positive disintegration, you know, it's fascinating because very slowly did uh, those blinders start to come off. It was definitely a process, but it was like really shocking to have that happen in the first place. I was pushed so much. Oh, you struggle with this. Oh, no, I, I don't. I think that's fine. No, no, no. You struggle with this. 
everyone struggles with this. And I don't think it was necessarily directly intentional, but I was around so many peers who really did not fit in that I almost felt wrong for not being upset. Or I would be told, you know, you're just this medicine, this therapy isn't working for you because you're just believing in stigma. And there were times when I first started trying to make that uh, move to exit that world where I really felt like, you know, this is the wrong decision. No, I need to go back. <laughs> like it was the most intense doubts. Like it felt like it was the most real thing in the world. And I knew, I think deep down that that wasn't true. And that was just my mind being confused and being used to what it was used to, because I would never even consider that now, but it was definitely a very long process to undo those things, especially when I didn't have support that really understood what it was like, which is why I share this story is just, I want people to know how they convince you to feel these things about yourself and how your mind works, because the usual don't doubt yourself, you're amazing isn't exactly the same thing as, no, this is not a medical uh, disorder if you feel kind of frustrated because your computer is loading slow. <laughs> What's bubbling up in my mind now is the fact that human life is hard. Hmm. You know, we all have our struggles and that maybe like no one can necessarily relate to our unique struggles, but we want to connect with people. So sometimes people use diagnoses or hashtags of this or that label of whatever sort because they they're just trying to connect the mm. way that we are now encouraged to do with the internet and hashtags and you know mm. social media that's yeah. one way to find belonging but i know you've tried some other things to try to find your space first of all offline i believe you've joined a church can you tell us a little bit about that why you joined and what you're finding there so I think it's actually an interesting story that I've wanted to bring up for a long time. If I just start from like the very beginning of my life before I even go for it. Yeah. So when I was five, one of the first uh, gifted kid things uh, they noticed about me, I would ask questions like, why do we have rules? And then when I got to middle school, my school was a very big population of LGBT students. And so I would wonder, oh, I must be something too. Mostly that's on me in my middle school brain. But mm -hmm. I wondered like, oh, maybe I'm like bi or something. I felt scared to say it out loud because I was worried about all of the extra attention that people would give. Like there had to be this dramatic confession and then they'd throw a giant parade and bring out the champagne. But <laughs> I was really into that philosophy there as well and uh, thinking about that and that was where I saw a lot of people who were afraid of discrimination that in some places is very real I was luckily in, envir in an environment that was a lot more accepting but I never felt the same I never was afraid of you know God shooting me with a giant lightning bolt and my neighborhood was very kind and very safe. And so there was nothing to worry about there. But I felt like there was something wrong with me for not feeling oppressed, for not feeling scared, for this not keeping me awake at night. I still wouldn't be able to 
you know, tell you the answer because I don't have any interested relationships right now because I'm focused on career. But feeling broken like that, as in, why do I not feel misunderstood like everybody else? Why do I not feel as upset? Well, surely I don't, you know, agree with all of the discrimination. And if I saw it, I'd be mad. And I think part of me wanted to just spite people that I didn't fit in with anymore. But part of me wanted to like shock myself into fixing what was wrong with my perspective. So that was my first time going into a church, the Catholic church, which is a notably strict church. And I went with my dad to a mass. And when we left, he's telling me, you know, if you want to join a church, it doesn't have to be this one. The other ones, they're more laid back. And I'm like, what do you mean? That was magical. That was the most peaceful place in the world. That felt like Christmas. And I kept going back. And I still have not found the monsters that I was supposed to see there. But what I did find was compassion and connection. Previous environments, their idea of compassion was collectively checking the same boxes or you brought up labels. I have this one, you have this one. Oh, that's that's a connection, but it's not. Uh, but they felt very pushed against like the idea of something, doing something together as a group. It was just don't step on each other's toes. We don't have to compromise and restrict parts of ourselves unless it's really triggering someone else. It felt like everyone holding hands in a circle, but then they all run different directions and the circle just collapses. Church. People who don't even know me are handing me tissues when I get an allergy attack. They're offering to give me rides if I can't uh, get a ride myself. It's a very welcoming place. And very recently, the realization hit me. We were all standing up, as one does, together to sing uh, the songs that you sing, the hymns, and just the willingness of people to join in a tradition, to do something together. And these are people who I don't even know, who don't know my name. I don't know theirs. I don't even know the words, but it's magical how we just all come together. And it's an exact contrast to uh, what I think is a very powerful image. My high school would do this silent movement where first week of school, you're if you're new, nobody knows your name. We'd all sit in the assembly room. Someone would stand up on stage and call out different labels and demographics. And then we stand for what applies to us. And these people don't know my name, but what connection is there other than seeing like, okay, these are the other women in the room. And I have to stand up and tell them if I have a disability or a medical condition, well, you're not required to, they're not going to force you, but it's awkward versus standing up in that church and everybody is singing together just for the sake of being in a community. You know, I started out as the kid who hated rules and I ended up being Catholic. And I think that really does show where a lot of communities are failing. And I think because people don't have to be Catholic or even religious to have this sort of connection, but it really does make me worry for those other communities of very uh, good people who are trying to do good work that they're going to get a lot of people who are going to be mad at them, even in ways where they shouldn't, because they're missing out on these spots of connections. 
and then creating their own enemy. And so I think it's very important for us all to remember like conformity when it is forced, when someone has to hide things for themselves, that's not right and that's not good. No one should have to feel that. But we all also have to be willing to be a part of something because following along with a tradition or a trend, it's not horrible or evil or we're all sheep. It's connection. That was really beautifully illustrated. The difference between focusing on differences and separating groups versus all coming together and doing something together that is elevating, like singing together. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other, there's another group that you're part of that you're trying to cultivate, and that's your Discord server. And it's funny that I'm now moving into that server uh, or that subject because it's it's a very different way that you've characterized it mm-hmm. from the church. The church you describe as this sort of beautiful and elevating thing, holy, dare I say holy. Mm-hmm. Um, and your discord has a very different sense. Mm-hmm. And we have talked about the search for the higher path is a big thing at third factor, but that is not what your discord is about. What is it that you're trying to cultivate there? And what's the need it's filling for you and that you hope it fills for others? Well, for me, it's big focus. It's a hub for my creative content. I run role play games there. I post my artwork there. I post my board games there. And I want to to be a place where people can see my content and also help other artists share their content online. But it is really, it's an online chat room. And so as someone that doesn't get very personally attached to the internet, it doesn't feel like a very big, grand, to use the same word, like holy and divine level purpose for me. But there's definitely some intentions I've had. And I invite people from a wide range of groups. So you get every weird internet person you can think of. And then you get some very sensitive folks who are really on edge. I purposely set my rules to be really laid back to kind of counteract that nature to hide anything that might upset someone because that can really skew someone's filters. Like either everything is bad, but okay. If it's behind like a sensor screen or um, they expect all of the warnings to be crying wolf. And then they click on something that's actually serious and get scared. And it also can cause a lot of paranoia of like, Oh, I've upset someone. So I really try to be an open place for sharing art, an open place for critique. I'm not going to tell someone they can't say they don't like something. Of course, I'm not going to let people post content that would need to be age-restricted because that's just not allowed. But if it's a darker subject or if it's potentially insensitive, like I wanted to make a place where people could find an art community that didn't have rules that were incredibly strict. Can you say more about what the strict rules are for people who might not be familiar? Yeah, so for people who have not spent hours of their life online in the specific servers, one way that internet is often described, there's places that become very toxic and very aggressive really fast, but then there's also safe spaces. And they have a lot of trends to be very, very cautious. There are things like you can't post over someone's art, meaning... If you think of a chat thread, you have to wait until that person gets three compliments before you can post your next picture, for example. It's 
also specified compliments. I've been in servers where they say you can't call anyone's art, you can't criticize them if they're not looking for it. You can't even call your own art bad because dare we, you know, bruise someone's ego. And I've been in places where they will have a list of triggers from everyone in the server. And they can be anything from a serious thing like blood to a really small thing like, and I'll make one up to not call anyone out, Mm -hmm. doorknobs. The other kind of scary thing is Discord has this feature called spoiler text where if you're posting, you know, say spoilers for a movie or something that you might necessarily want to put a little minor content warning on, it'll show up as a black bar. And then if you click on it, you'll read the text underneath. So they will censor both the content itself and then the content, the message will say like content warning, doorknobs, but then they will censor the word that they are warning for. Oh no. Makes it really hard to even tell anymore. But then everything is warned from really graphic gore to just cursing. And I have seen a lot of people get really messed up filters from that, where they either think everything is okay or everything is not okay and not really get the idea that there are levels. Margot, so I got to jump in here and say, you know, we were talking earlier about sometimes we talk to you and other Gen Zers, we get the sense you're nervous there's nothing wrong with you. This is positive maladjustment. You are making a sane response to a really messed up social environment that a lot of people have no idea is the norm for people in Gen Z and and, and older people who are now part of this. I've seen people who are older than me, like Gen Xers, who changed dramatically Mm. as this culture online shifted. Yeah. I have seen it in people I know Uh, who have become very online as sort of a coping mechanism for feeling isolated. And, you know, you can do things in there, like you can join role play groups or share your art. And as someone who's sharing content online, of course, I spend a lot of time there. I take measures to detach from it. Um, But when someone young takes that very personally and spends a lot of time, it can really warp the way that they think and cause them to become very sensitive and very easily triggered. And there is an insistence that like, if it's someone's issue that they can't help, well, then we all have to bubble wrap them for it. And that leads to a lot of discipline, not really being taken into account or people getting strikes uh, for things that aren't really a big deal just because they happened to make somebody else uncomfortable. How are you trying to moderate this community? What are some rules you apply or rules for yourself, guidelines, I should say, for moderating? Yeah. So for my own community, I'm definitely a lot more laid back, even than like a lot of standard spaces might say, like, please keep swearing to a minimum because they want to be professional. I don't have that rule because I know that some people really just need to be shocked out of (laughs) of being on edge. My number one rule is please be respectful. If it turns into something that's causing a lot of conflict, I might stall a topic or stop certain behaviors, but I don't stamp out things unless they're the extreme. And even then, unless it's absolutely age-restricted or a topic like uh, talking about someone being on drugs where you don't want to share that about yourself online, Mm -hmm. uh, people can take it to private 
threads or public threads that you have to opt in to join with a content warning on the top. So it isn't publicly in the chat thread, but people are allowed to go into what they want to enter into. I'm very, very careful about making sure that I don't lean too strict with something because I know that there's a lot of paranoia. Uh, the other thing that I see a lot of places, their be respectful rule lists a bunch of behaviors, but they're usually biased one way. So it's either like, don't say these, you know, terms like, oh my God, and stuff that's disrespects religion, or no sexism, no racism, and all the isms. But when you're then moderating and looking at someone's actions, you're going to bias towards a certain way, one way or the other. And for different communities, different purposes, if that's the group that your server is made for, then that makes sense. And that's perfectly reasonable. But I try to use the benchmark, you know, the old fashioned way of, was that comment rude? Or was it just politely disagreeing with someone? And then what ideology it is doesn't matter. It has to do with these actions. And for myself, I only recruit a staff team that either is willing to have me find a way to verify them as like over video or through meeting them in somewhere like Third Factor or someone I know in person because I don't want to like have someone on the internet in charge of my project. And I have several advisory teams between the doers group and my staff so that before I make a decision, I know not to just handle it. Like I don't want to mishandle it and I want to have benchmarks in place to make sure that we stay grounded and that I stay grounded and a part of making sure that I have to know people beyond the screen before I start putting a lot of trust in them is to help me separate. And like, another funny thing is like online, people really get attached to their profiles. It feels like they're talking through their profile pictures. People have commented like, you change your profile picture like five times an hour. <laughs> and that's to help me reset oh my gosh, there's so much drama. Oh my, I need to start my life over. Change profile picture. Oh, look, everything's fine now. Just in case people are unclear, your Discord and Third Factor are separate. And so yes. you have two different communities that you're participating mm -hmm. in. Online culture, each yeah. space is different, just like offline. Right. Um, we are coming up on time, but I want mm -hmm. to talk about one other thing before you go, which is we are just about to launch this as we record. By the time this goes live, it had better be up because you've been very patient with me uh, waiting for me to polish it and think about mm -hmm. it and give you feedback. But we're starting a creative writing group and you're going to be helping with that. I'm going to be helping with that. We're both writers. So based on all these things you've been talking about and trying to create a more laid back sort of space uh, for actual creative processes I'm still kind of reeling at what you said about not being allowed to post anything until someone's given three compliments which are therefore not going to be sincere <laughs> like just think about it people but anyway putting that aside what would you like to say about this uh your hopes for this creative writing group and maybe someone who's listening um what would you like them to know if they're considering joining that so I am very excited to have this space because I think a lot of writers we all want advice, but the one thing that's hard to get engagement on is readers. People will look at a picture. They don't necessarily read in detail and give feedback to a written piece. So I want to be able to help writers grow, but I also want to give them a space where they feel like they can get honest feedback, where they don't have to walk on eggshells, and where they can share their writing without worrying about it being either 
canceled or pulled down or upsetting someone. Of course, with very serious themes, you might put a warning, but I don't plan to be restrictive in that regard because I don't want people to feel nervous about what they post. But I also want to get a group together of people who are very serious and committed to their projects, whether that's, you know, finishing it or editing it professionally or all skill levels in between. There are people who will just write when they feel like it and push away from any critique. And I would hope to get a group together that gets some good momentum. Uh, we have, we're open most likely to both readers and writers. And so I want to be able to give people who really need that feedback and want that feedback to work on that and start a very a rich and valuable exchange. I think also I'm in a very lucky space where having so much about myself public in a way that is safe and under a pseudonym, but like it's a synonymous with my name now, given how often I use it. I can invite a lot of people I've met online into a place like Third Factor and they can meet me and I can meet them. And a lot of those people are other writers. So uh, to the people who know me online, if you happen to be watching this, yes, I uh, would love to see you in this group and I would love to help you. And also both Third Factor members that come into my community and members of my community that end up learning Third Factor uh, you'll get some VIP stuff over there too. So just wanted to drop that in. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we head out today, um, tell our listeners where they can find you. In addition, of course, to the Third Factor community, which any of our listeners can join and come talk to both of us there. But other than that, where can people find you? I do a lot of content. The most public face place to find that is on my WordPress blog. That's called Intensified Interests, the Trade Guild. Uh and if you have trouble searching up that name, I'm sure we'll link it. On you will, there, yeah. you'll see pages about Third Factor, about uh, blogs about my writing, and links to everything I've produced, whether that's board games or uh, that's where you'll find the Discord if we can't get an invite up in the description. So that is uh, probably the best place. <laughs> cool. Well, Margo, it has been a pleasure chatting with you as always. I think people are going to really enjoy this interview. So thank you very much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. It was uh, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Third Factor. Ixen of Tell Your Story composed our theme music. If you'd like to continue the conversation you heard here, we invite you to become a member. When you subscribe at or upgrade to our community member tier, you'll receive an invitation to our forum, where you can join in both written and live Zoom-based conversations. Just head to thirdfactor.org join to sign up. Even if you're not yet a member, you can check out our upcoming live Zoom sessions by going to our website, www.thirdfactor.org. There you can also find our show notes, loads of written articles, and sign up for our mailing list. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at thirdfactormag, and we're really grateful for any social media shares, which help us to find more kindred spirits. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again soon.